Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Luke's Gospel, the second chapter, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Lord Jesus, open thou my lips, that my mouth may show forth thy praise. Amen. Good evening, dear friends in Christ Jesus. You who are here in God's house, you also Christian friends who are seated near your radios. This is Christmas Eve. And I'm sure that it's nice to be worshiping at this unusual hour on this night. Really, is it not at the call of your soul and mine that we have decided to spend the waning moments of Christmas Eve and to greet the dawn of Christmas Day worshiping a babe who was born this night centuries ago in Bethlehem of Judea? Well, may we say to ourselves on this Christmas Eve, why would we want to spend the hours of Christmas Eve? Why would you and I want to greet the beginning of Christmas Day to worship a babe born nearly 2,000 years ago? So we ask the question tonight at Christmas Eve, what child is this? Who was this child who was born many years ago in the fields of Bethlehem? And dear children, to get our answer tonight on this Christmas Eve, we turn and we look at the manger child and we ask the angel who announced his birth that night centuries ago. And we say, angel, what child is this? Who is this child born centuries ago? And the angel that announced it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the angel says to you and me tonight on this Christmas Eve, I don't you know who this child is? Don't you know who this babe is? This babe is no less than your Savior. He's worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your joy. He is worthy of you falling on your knees and adoring him. And you and I tonight may say, Angel, just because this babe is no less than our Savior, is he really worthy of our falling on our knees and our worshiping him? And tonight, Christmas Eve, the angel says, Oh, yes. Because this babe is no less than your Savior, he is worthy of your adoration and your praise because his birth centuries ago in Bethlehem, the angel would assure us, means that this Christmas Eve, this is a holy night. It is a most holy of nights. It is a most joyous night, a most blessed night, a most comforting night that you and I would want in our Christian experience. We may say tonight on Christmas Eve, you mean to say, angel, that because this child is no less than our Savior, that this birth that occurred so many years ago makes this night 
a most holy of nights, that it gives us comfort, that it gives us joy like no other night can do. And this is what the angel would remind you and me that it does, because in the first place the angel would remind us tonight on this Christmas Eve that this little child of Bethlehem, since he is no less than our Savior, his coming into this world centuries ago marked the fulfillment of 4,000 years of God's promises in spite of the disheartening and the discouraging things that came to God. Tonight on Christmas Eve, we may say, you mean this is a holy night? That there is a comfort here that this night gives us that no other night can give? That here is joy, here is the blessedness, here is hope, oh, to be sure, because in your experience and mine as Christians, the time may come and we may say, God makes a lot of promises, but can you trust God? Is he reliable? Does God come through? And then comes Christmas Eve. And to look at the Christmas story, this babe that was born centuries ago, we look at the promises of God, we've got to go back 4,000 years from that night in Bethlehem. And we go back to the Garden of Eden. And there we find that when God made our first parents, Adam and Eve, that he created them after his own image in righteousness and holiness, and then God, again, because he had made them in holiness, God placed them in the Garden of Eden and God told them that they were to test themselves to see whether they were going to obey him or not. And God told them that they could eat of every tree in that garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet Adam and Eve, knowing better when they were tempted of Satan, they did that which was wrong in the sight of God, and they lost the image of God, and they brought sin into the world, and they brought death, and they brought eternal damnation. And then it was in the Garden of Eden that God made the first promise to our first parents. When God spoke to Adam and Eve and to the serpent, he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God promised Adam and Eve that there would be a Savior, the seed of the woman would come, and that there would be life and salvation in this seed of the woman. This was the first promise. Does Christmas Eve assure you and me that God is reliable? Well, God expected from Adam and Eve that this seed, the Savior, would come from one of the children that God blessed them with because he gave them sons, Cain and Abel. But you recall that Cain killed his brother Abel. We say what a discouragement to God when God had promised that again this great seed would come through Abel. But God raised up another son by the name of Seth. And then as the human race progressed, again man wandered away from God and man lost practically all knowledge of God and God decided to destroy the human race by a flood but he saved eight human beings, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. And then after the flood, God again made a promise and he said to Noah, Noah was to bless his sons and when Noah blessed the oldest son, Shem, you know, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. The seed of the woman, the Savior God promised would come from Noah's oldest son. He would be a descendant of Shem. He would be a Semite. The world moved on another thousand years. And man was forgetting God, oh, the discouragements that broke his heart. And yet God was still making promises. And God looked over in the land of Ur of the Chaldees. 
And there lived there a man by the name of Abraham. He knew something of the true God, but he lived in a house that also worshipped idols. And God saw that he could not send the Savior into the world by having him come from Adam and then through Seth and then through Noah and then through Shem. He would have to simply raise up a nation that would be his, that he might from that nation send the Messiah and the Savior. So we asked Abraham, if Abraham would go to the land that he would send him, he said, and I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless them that bless you, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And you know that Abraham, he accepted the promise of God, and he left her, the cowleys went up into Haran, and came down in a southwestern direction and came to a strange land, the land of Canaan. This was the land that God said, Abraham, I will give you. Talk about the promises of God. And you and I say, does God really keep them? But Abraham didn't have a son. And then Abraham sinned because he and Sarah decided they would do something about that. If Sarah couldn't give him a son, he took his concubine. And he took Hagar and she delivered a son and they called him Ishmael but God had said this was not to be the son and then when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years of age an angel of the Lord came to them and announced that they would be the parents of a son and they laughed because it seemed so ridiculous but when Sarah was 90 she gave birth to a son and they called him laughter but here it was joy they called him Isaac in spite of the disappointment that Abraham didn't trust God, God was giving promises. And then Isaac became the father of twins, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, you remember, was to have the firstborn blessing. And from Jacob was supposed to come the Savior. But Jacob had wrested the birthright in a crooked way from his brother Esau, and he had to flee for his life. But you recall when he was on the way to heaven, and he was alone one night, and in his dream he saw a ladder reaching up into heaven, and the angels of God ascending and descending, and God appeared to him in a dream, and God told him that he would be with him and protect him. Here from Jacob was going to come this child that was born in Bethlehem centuries ago this night. And God watched over Jacob, and he lived up in Haran for 20 years. And then when he was on the way back, he heard that his brother Esau, you recall, was going to come to kill him. And when he put his family on the one side of the Jabbok, and he stood there alone, I stood at the Jabbok one day, and I washed my hands in the Jabbok, and I thought of that time when God, not only did he keep his promise, but God sent the angel of the Lord, who was no less than the Savior in the Old Testament, before he was born in Bethlehem, when he assumed a human farm and came and he wrestled with Jacob that night and gave Jacob a new name and called him Israel and forgave him his sins. You talk about God. Is God trustworthy? Does God keep his promises? This is the holy night, the night of nights that gives you and me the good news that in spite of all the heartaches and the disappointments and the discouragement that came to our God, God continued to give his promises. And then when Jacob arrived back in the land of Canaan, he became the father of 12 sons and they sold Joseph into slavery and that brought them eventually down into Egypt. And before Jacob died, as he blessed his sons, you remember that he cast up the oldest, Reuben and then Simeon and Levi, and then he came to the fourth son who was Judah. And he laid his hand on Judah's head and here came a promise of God to Jacob and he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. 
that the Savior God promised was going to be from the nation of Abraham and he was going to be from the tribe of Judah. They lived down in Egypt for about 430 years and God heard their cry and then God raised up a Moses, you recall, and Moses led them out of Egypt. And then we say, what about the promise? All oh, the people murmured and they complained against God, but the Old Testament, and this is the great key of it, the great promise that the Savior was going to come. And you recall that Moses told them that God's going to raise up a prophet like unto me, a great mediator. And they met in the wilderness. They met again one of the prophets there, Balaam. And you recall that Balaam, even though he didn't want to bless Israel, he said that a star shall come out of Jacob. God giving the promise, the entire key, the golden key in the Old Testament, still promising that a Savior was going to come. And finally they came into the land of Canaan. You come into the period of the judges. Then there came a great king on the throne, David himself followed by Solomon. And then the kingdom was divided and the northern kingdom was at enmity against the southern kingdom. But God still gave his promise because 700 years before this babe was born in Bethlehem, God raised up an Isaiah. And Isaiah, you recall, prophesied and said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This seed of the woman, again, the Savior was going to be born. And Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government there shall be no end upon the throne of David. Isaiah said he's going to be born of a virgin. He is going to be the great Prince of Peace. And his kingdom is going to be on the kingdom of David and everlasting kingdom. He's coming from the family of David. But the northern kingdom was carried into captivity, you know, and wiped off of the face of the earth in the year 722 B.C. And then in the year 586, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the southern kingdom, and they were carried into Babylon for 70 years in exile. But God still kept the promise alive, and God brought them back a broken-down people, and the last prophet was Malachi. And Malachi prophesied by God and said uh, that Elijah would arise before that great day and that the Son of Righteousness would then arise with healing in his wings. Friends, children, 4,000 years of promise amidst the most discouraging circumstances that broke God's heart. But God came through and this babe was born 4,000 years after Eden in the fields of Bethlehem. This is the holy night. This is the night of nights when you and I can say, here is a joyous night. Here is a night that gives me hope. Here is a night that gives me comfort. God does fulfill his promises. God must love you and me. God must really yearn for our salvation. There may be somebody on this Christmas Eve who is despondent, who is saying, uh, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want my salvation. Listen, friend, this is the holy night. This is the night that gives you and me the glorious good news that because God came through and fulfilled promises of 4,000 years, even though mankind didn't deserve it, God does love you. I'd like to put it this way tonight. God has a magnificent obsession. God is insane on one point. He loves you and me with an everlasting love. 
It's a divine insanity. It's a magnificent obsession. It is a tremendous, glorious hang-up. God must love you and me. In spite of whom we are or what we are, God yearns for your salvation and mine. You see, this is Christmas Eve. Oh, what a holy night. Oh, holy of all nights, oh, night of joy, oh, night of comfort, that you and I can say as we come on Christmas Eve that he's worthy of our worship and we ought to fall on our knees. We ought to worship him and thank God that, God, you're worth knowing. God, you are reliable. Oh, God, you love me because this is the miracle. If God can love you and love me so much that he yearns for our salvation, then God must love all men. This is Christmas Eve. Oh, holy night, the holiest of all nights as good news, as joy, as comfort. We may say to ourselves, angel, what child is this? We gathered here in church on Christmas Eve and we come to worship. Is, is this child because he is no less than our Savior? Is he, is he worthy of our worship? Is he one again who is worthy that we fall on our knees and adore him? And the angel says, of course he is. Because his birth centuries ago in Bethlehem, the angel would assure us, it means that Christmas Eve is it's a holy night. Oh, it's a night divine. It's a night of joy. Why? Because the angel assures you and me that even as this child is our Savior, that his coming into this world centuries ago this night, it meant this, that he came at the fullness of time. He came at that moment in history when God determined he should come and God brought it about. There are some times in your Christian experience in mind when you and I say, how great is God? How big is God? And Christmas Eve says, oh, this is the holy night. This is the night of night. This is the night that gives you and me joy and gives you and me blessedness and gives you and me comfort. How great is God? Why, look at the Christmas story. This child, Savior, when did he come into the world? Maybe we said to us, so why wasn't this Jesus, our Savior, born at the time of Noah? Why wasn't he born at the time of Abraham? Why wasn't he born at the time of David? Why was he born at the time when he was born? Oh, we can look at the world at that time and then say, well, the Caesars had controlled the world, and the world at that time was at a semblance of peace, and there was a universal language. It was Greek spoken at that time, and there was, again, good commerce, and there were good roads for the spread of the gospel. But that doesn't answer the question, why was he born at that time? The Word of God says he was born at that time because this was the fullness of time. This was the time when God saw to it that he was born. At the end of the 4,000 years, the last 400 were years of silence when God didn't speak. And then we see in the Christmas story God taking a hand. There was a man by the name of Zacharias who was offering the sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem one day. And there he was, and suddenly God broke through in the form of an angel. Here was Gabriel. And Gabriel spoke to him and said, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son, and you're to call his name John, and he's to be the forerunner of the Savior. And Zacharias couldn't believe it because he was an old man. Menopause had already taken place many years previously in his wife Elizabeth. It couldn't be 
But Gabriel said it would be. And he was stricken with dumbness that he couldn't speak because he didn't believe. And then you talk about God when the fullness of time came for this babe to be born. Six months later, Gabriel went up into Nazareth in Galilee. There was a virgin living up there with the name of Mary. The angel said, Ave Maria. This was Maria, a virgin girl. And the angel came and announced that God had chosen her. She was to be the mother of the Christ child. And she rightly tells Gabriel, How can I be? I am a virgin. I know not a man. And then Gabriel announces to her that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And Mary accepted that rule, that God in his inscrutable wisdom the Holy Spirit would impregnate her that she would be the mother of the Christ child. God, talk about the greatness and the magnificence of God. And then the angel told her, said, your cousin Elizabeth is already six months with child. And so Miriam, Mary, she leaves Galilee and travels down into Judea to the hill country, probably to Hebron, although we don't know where Zacharias lived. And down there, as she entered the home of Elizabeth, the unborn child in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. And Mary broke into song, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Oh, the greatness of God. And she stayed there till about the birth of John. And then she left and went back to her home in Nazareth, determined not to tell Joseph because Joseph wouldn't understand no more than any other man would understand if the girl to whom he was engaged would tell him that she was going to have a child, but that it was virgin birth. She knew that he wouldn't understand. But again, when she got home, he saw what was taking place, and he loved her, and so he decided not to shame her, but to put her away privately. And then God comes into the picture in a dream, and an angel explains the great mystery to Joseph that this child which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and Joseph understands, and then he takes Mary and decides again, God is working in history, the power of God in bringing this child into the world. Then the power of God, here they are up in Nazareth. What will people say? The people you see in Nazareth talked in those days, just like people talk in our day. And then God sees to it that Caesar Augustus on the throne in Rome. And I'm sure that little did he know that God was using him. He issues a decree that the entire nation under him should be enrolled for taxation. And that meant that the Jews, he could go back to his ancestral city and that gave an occasion for Mary and Joseph because, you see, they were of the nation of Abraham. They were from the tribe of Judah and they were from the family of David that they might leave Nazareth and go back to Bethlehem where David, their ancestor, had been born. What trip they took and what route they took, we don't know, but I assume they took the one that normally was taken, that they left Galilee and traveled on the coast between Galilee and Samaria, crossing the river Jordan on the east and coming down. And I walked part of that road. And oh, what a trip that must have been. Perhaps Joseph had a donkey because most of them still have donkeys. And Mary on the donkey and traveling down south heading for Bethlehem. The power of God, did you ever see it? 
There are 10,000 times 10,000 angels, 100 million angels, and what it must have been, that trip, with God looking over with his omnipotence and 100 million angels watching because the hope of the world, the hope of the world, the Son of God, was to be born and nothing was to happen. No doubt as they crossed the Jordan, they came to the city of Jericho, which is the way the route goes. And I wonder when they got into Jericho, whether Mary didn't say something to Joseph about something that had happened in Jericho, about again Rahab, who was the harlot of Jericho, you know, and had kept the spies when Israel was going to take the city of Jericho. And because of that, they told her that if she would hang a scarlet cord in the window when they would take the city of Jericho, they would spare her this harlot, this prostitute of Jericho. And I wonder if they didn't talk, Mary and Joseph, that Mary didn't say, and to think that Rahab married one of our people, married Salmon. And that a Salmon married her and they had a son by the name of Boaz. And that Boaz married Ruth, a Moabitess, a Gentile girl who again gleaned in his feet. I wonder if they didn't say, this son, this Savior that is going to be born, he is not just pure Jewish blood, but he's got the blood of a harlot, a prostitute in his veins. And the blood of Ruth the Moabitess, a Gentile, God telling that here is the Savior for all men, for all sinners. Here is the Savior for all individuals, regardless of whom they are or what they are. And they traveled on down then evidently from Jericho about 14 miles to the city of Jerusalem. Though at one time there's where David was king, but all things were changed now because they were under the Roman eagle. And then a six-mile trek from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The road is still there, and as they came on down to Bethlehem, I'm sure they passed the tomb where Jacob had buried his beloved Rachel when she died. You remember giving birth to Benjamin. Then the city of Bethlehem, and there it was. And no doubt Mary was saying, Joseph, you've got to hurry because... My time is about near. They went into the little village of Bethlehem and they inquired of the innkeeper for a room and there wasn't any room. The innkeeper didn't realize it was filled with others who would come in order to be enrolled for taxation. But the innkeeper said, there, there's a manger where you can go. And God again with his power. And they went into a manger where cattle had been fed. But oh, I like to think of it as 10,000 times 10,000 angels looking down from heaven and here was a babe born of a virgin and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger we say to ourselves oh this is a holy night this is the night of joy why oh the power of God God sent the son Jesus the Savior into the world you and I can say and he assures us that's why oh what a holy night is this a night of joy and a night of assurance that as we bow down we can say oh because of God's power and we see it so gloriously and so wonderfully on Christmas Eve we can look at that child and we can worship him. We can say, oh, he's king of kings and lord of lords and he shall reign forever and ever. 
His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Though what comfort that is in this 20th century tonight. How many of us look out on a world and we have tears and we say to ourselves, Oh, what's the world coming to? It looks like evil is going to conquer good. This is the world in our 20th century. We may say, Oh, would to God that I had never born any children. But oh, listen, this is a holy night. We can look down at that child and we can say, but his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. We see the omnipotence, the almighty power of God. This is a holy night, friends. This is Christmas Eve. This is the assurance, the good news, the comfort. He's going to reign as victor forever and ever. We say to ourselves, oh, who is this child? And the angel said, don't you know this child? But this child is no less than the Savior born this night centuries ago in Bethlehem. And again, because of that birth, the angel assures us, this is the holy night, this is Christmas Eve. This is a night that gives comfort and gives heart to us. And we say, does it? And the angel assures us that, again, this child being no less than our Savior, when he came, he caused the glory of God to shine forth. We may say, what is there about Christmas Eve that gives us good news, that gives us again strength of heart and gives us comfort? We may say, on that night, centuries ago, did the glory of God manifest itself? Was there something that men could see in the Word of God says? And that night there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sort of afraid, no wonder. That was the night out in the fields of Bethlehem when the glory, the magnificence of God, it broke forth from heaven and it shone in the fields and there was an angel. I wonder what it looked like. I wonder if the brightness that night in Bethlehem when the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, don't be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. Drunk you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And there shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I stood in the fields of Bethlehem you know, you just open up your heart and you look up and you wonder, oh, and the glory of God that night shone round about. What a sight that must have been. The magnificence, the splendor of heaven. I wonder how many were in that first angelic chorus. The first Christmas carol was sung this night, centuries ago. And we say, oh, heaven, heaven touched earth that night. And this is the joy and this is the comfort because... This is a holy night. This is the holy night of nights, dear children, that assures you and me that this babe is beyond question the Savior, and that he is the one that has brought heaven, eternal life, everlasting salvation for you and me. Oh, there's no doubt about it, is there? But when Christmas Eve comes, and we say, is there a heaven? Is there a life beyond the grave? Is there a God? But, oh, this is the holy night. 
This is the night when the glory of God shone centuries ago when God reached down and heaven touched earth. And then the shepherds, they went, and what a surprise it must have been. It didn't take them long. Most babies would be wrapped in swaddling clothes, but to find a babe lying in a manger when they were walking westward into Bethlehem, no doubt they saw a light in a barn. What an amazing thing it must have been to have gone up and had Joseph come and say, was there a babe born here this night? And to have Joseph say, oh, yes, but how did you know? And to have them tell the glory of the Lord shone round about them. This is Christmas Eve. This, this is the holy night, don't you know? When the angel said he's worthy, oh, this is the night when we become children. When we fall on our knees and we worship him and we open our hearts to him, even though we seem through a tear. Has there ever been a Christmas Eve when there weren't tears? Some of you may say to me tonight, I, I came tonight. I came to church. But oh, Christmas doesn't mean much to me tonight. Of course, I've got a boy in Vietnam. And I, I wonder about him and he's not home. Or I've got a husband in Vietnam. Again, but oh, even... Heaven touches earth this night, mom and dad, and sister and brother and wife, that this babe's coming after 2,000 years at least causes the enemy to say for 24 hours, we'll not have war. At least no one being killed now. We may say, but oh, in our house we've got some vacant chairs. Oh, yes, I saw some of you cry as you came into church tonight, Christmas Eve, to say, Christmas can't mean much to me tonight because we've got a vacant chair. God took my husband, God took my wife, or my son, or my daughter, or my child. And you may say, my loved one even lies at death even now, or tremendous illness. Do you know of anybody who doesn't have a vacant chair? But oh, to me, this, this is the night when heaven touches earth. Yes, there are vacant chairs in my home too, my father, my mother, my sister, Loretta. But oh, when they have been taken and they've gone home for Christmas, when does the babe look any more joyous and any more beautiful than when you see him through a tear? What must heaven be like tonight? 10,000 times 10,000 angels gathered before the throne with our loved ones who are home for Christmas, singing the Christmas carol, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, you've got to see Christmas and the infant child. You've got to see him through a tear. You've got a boy in prison camp. But oh, all sorrow... These are passing things, but this is the holy night. Christmas means the joy. Here is the Savior, heaven, and eternal life. Oh, I, I love Christmas Eve. I, I hate to see it pass. I, I like to hold on to it, and I say, oh, God, just, just keep it, because, you see, heaven touches earth this night. 
it's been my custom for a long time that when the family goes to sleep and the grandchildren go that last Christmas I sat in the chair with my dog Punkin and we would just sit there. You know, there's an ancient legend that says when the hour approaches midnight that even the animals, they bow in adoration to the Christ child. That isn't hard to believe, is it? Somehow rather even the animals, the creatures of God, seem to sense the holiness of the night. But of course, that dog is gone. But you and I can say, God, nothing else matters. This is a holy night. Do you seem to a tear? Oh, let's fall on our knees. Oh, this is the holy night. This is the divine night. Oh, come, even with tears, let's wipe them and let's smile. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everything's all right, Mom. Everything's all right, Dad. This is Christmas Eve. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.